morning. Amen. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, that you are who you say you are in your word, and you give us evidence of that, that you're powerful, and uh, you love us, you know us intimately, and you're concerned about every detail of our lives. And we thank you this morning that, Lord, that you would use me as your vessel um, to speak a word that would encourage and if need be, it would challenge us, and, and if need be, um, to uh, correct us, Lord, so that we can walk in a way that is pleasing to you and closer to you. Um, and we just thank you this morning for your Holy Spirit and the word which is you've placed above your name. And we give you all the praise and glory in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, last week, um, uh, even Pastor Tasha, as she was exhorting us in the in the offering this morning, she's reiterating about um, Psalm 91, you know, and I preached on that, and it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And it talks about that place of provision, that place of peace and protection that God affords us uh, as we uh, draw close to Him. As we abide in his presence, he wants us to abide. He wants us to um, draw close. It says, you know, when we draw close to him, um, he'll draw close to us. You know, if there's a lacking of that, there's only one person who's moved, and I would say it's our responsibility, you know, so that we uh, desire to have intimacy with God, that he offers it to us. He is... How you doing, man? Good to see you, man. <laughs> right on. The word in the Bible, it says, you know, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. So the word is dwelling. When you think, when I say the word dwelling, what do you think of immediately? A house, right? That would be an accurate, accurate description there. It says, uh, he who dwells in the, word in the Greek is oikio, and it's to dwell from oikos, which is house, to inhabit as one's own abode of an indwelling of the Spirit of God in a believer. You know, so when we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, He promised to come and be within us, or to be with us, and to be in us. And this was something that was unique. This was something that had never happened before. You know, on the level that um, Jesus promised. He said, you know, if you, um, I'm going away after his crucifixion. He says, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send my helper or the paraclete, the one who comes aside to help you. I will not leave you as orphans. I would think that if I was a disciple of Christ at that point, I'd be kind of concerned that he's walking with these guys and training them. And he's there, you know, he's, he's um, feeding the multitudes. He's um, quelling the crowds. He's, you know, giving wisdom. He's giving guidance. He's training them in the ways of what God wants. And all of a sudden he starts talking about going to the cross and that he's not going to be here. He's going to have to go away for a time. And their hearts are going to be filled with sorrow. I would think that that would be sort of disconcerting. And you're, you would be concerned about that. But the Lord said, it's actually to your advantage that I go away. Because if I go away, then I'm going to send the comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit that will take my place. And he'll actually be in you. And he'll guide you. And he'll be intimate with your thoughts. Um... That's a tremendous promise. I think that we, uh, I don't think I understand fully 
the implications of that, of the infilling of the Holy Spirit and what that affords us, that he has given us um, all the power of attorney that Christ had. It's all the authority, all what, it, what God uh, promised to Christ, that we have that because of the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. When we ex- accept Christ, can you guys remember the day that you accepted Christ, where that something transpired in your heart? You know, there was something that took place, something that happened that you didn't have before that. It's hard to even put it into words. Even when I was explaining the gospel, you know, you can ask people, because we grow up in, as Americans, we grow up in America, and it says, you know about Jesus? And most, 99% people in America will say, yeah, I know about Jesus. But do you really know about Jesus? Do you know what the Bible says about Jesus? And the better question is, did you ever hear the gospel? And I've said this before. This is a key question because the gospel is the power of salvation. When we hear this message, this is about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Why is that necessary? Because we are under the curse of the law and apart from the righteousness of Christ, we're damned for destruction. We're damned for hell. It's like, what a, well, I'm not that bad of a person. But God is so holy and so righteous that His standard is 100% pure. And without Christ's sacrifice, we have no chance of meeting the standard. In fact, the, the law is a curse to us. All the law is, is to tell us there's a knowledge of sin and that we have violated God's laws. But the gospel is good news. The good news is, Jesus Christ came, He fulfilled all righteousness... And he confers this righteousness upon us who have faith in the finished work of Christ. Therefore, we can have right standing with God, even though we know we're a work in progress. Even though we know that there's things that are still being processed in our lives. Because as the closer you get to God, the more we realize he's a holy God. Right? That he's, he's the, that light as we, as we turn from the darkness into the light, as the light shines on us, we're being transformed into the image of Christ. And things that formerly didn't bother us, all of a sudden it's like, ah, oh, that's kind of ugly. You know, as we look at the mirror of the word of God and we're looking at ourselves in light of what God sees in us. But the good news is he's given us the Holy Spirit so that we're not on our own. Just tough it out, man. Just handle it. No, the Holy Spirit helps us to be conformed into the image of Christ. That's really good news. If anybody has ever walked the walk, and I know I'm talking to people who have, who've tried in your own effort and failed desperately, and you feel disgusted with yourself, and you basically say, that's it, I quit, I can't do this. And the word abide or dwell means don't quit. Hang in there. Stay with this. Because God is doing a work in you. And a lot of times it's imperceptible. You don't even sense it in yourself. But you might see somebody years later, and you notice, wow, this person is different. Or, you know, uh, Marianne, I can, I can imagine when she saw me now, this is not the same person who used to hang out at the beach and do whatever and these things. You know, this person has changed now because Christ is doing a work from the inside out. And that's the promise that he is. It's like planting a seed. That seed goes into the ground and you don't watch it, what's going on. But so, new life is given to that. And when Christ, we, had, we invited him into our hearts, a new life was birthed at that point, And this seedling started. But eventually that seedling, if it hangs in, there will turn into a mighty oak tree you know that's what they say that a a mighty oak tree is an acorn that just hung in there that just didn't quit just stayed there and abide and it became a huge oak tree right that's the same work jesus says if you have faith as a mustard seed 
You can say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast in the sea, and it would obey you that those things that you, that you ask. Um, let me read this. I'm going to go to Romans 8, my favorite chapter in the Bible. Um, and it's talking about those things that, you know, those works that are begun and the works that are being progressive in our lives and the, the works that are being done and the method that God uses to make those things happen. And I want to go to Romans 8 and starting in verse 8. And I'm going to read to verse 11. It's in, you know, it talks about in chapter 7, for context, it talks about this struggle that we all face in sin. It says we got born again, and all of a sudden this spiritual life gets revived in us, and we realize, wow, there's stuff that i got to deal with in my life, and I want to do this, but I don't seem to have the power to do that, or to forsake some of these things that are, that are latched onto me. And there's this struggle, and it's like, man, I want to do good, but it seems like there's a power that's pulling me back. And the power that is greater than the power of sin is the power of the knowledge of Jesus Christ and grace in our life. That has the power to break this cycle that we seem to just keep it's an infinity loop we get disgusted ah oh, i man I, I promise i would never do this again but when we get the understanding we're looking at the law of liberty in christ and all of a sudden we get this realization wow this is what god says about me what if i appropriate what he says about me to me instead of these other christians who look like they're pretty together and just say no but what about you what about me does this mean for me yes it means for you as much as you can lay claim to it in faith as much as you can get this word in you and say god is talking about me even in our failures even when we screw up god is speaking about us this is the probably the most in my opinion the most powerful chapter in the bible is romans 8 it says, I mean, I'm going to just go from verse 1 because I love it so much. It says, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. According. You know, are, are we in accord? Are we walking in accord? Are we walking in accord with our flesh or we are walking in accord with our spirit? You know, God wants us to align with what His Spirit says, what His Word says, what His Word says about us. We have to identify with that. And it's not, well, let me clean myself up, and then I can accord with that. No, it's the belief, the faith that we have in the finished work of Christ, the appropriation of a clean conscience. And it says that in Hebrews about baptism, that when we go down in the water, we can hail back. And I told Marianne, write this date down in your Bible, because this is the day when your old person died. That person died and the new person came up out of the water. It's no longer me who's living. It's Christ living in me now. And it's a process. It's a process of sanctification to get to that image. But as far as God is concerned, when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord, and Savior, you're as righteous as you're ever going to be at that moment right there. That's like, what? Yeah, I don't do this. She kept saying, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. None of us deserve this. But the Lord seemed that he loved us that much that he says, I'll pay the penalty. I'll send my righteous, holy son, God in the flesh, to die on my behalf so that I can lay claim on this. I can lay claim on this gift. And he paid the balance for that. It's free, but it ain't cheap. It costs God a lot to appropriate that gift to us. And as we look at this, when we look into this gift, that's where the worth comes in. That's where the value comes in. 
that we're looking at this and like, man, that's, that's very costly. I don't see anybody else making that kind of offer out there and backing it up with a resurrection on top of that to, to stamp it and say, that sacrifice was acceptable to God my Father and your way into eternal life has been guaranteed because of that, right? Amen. That's great news. No condemnation. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit and the life in Christ Jesus made me free from the law of sin and death. That chain that was hanging on to you over all your past, our past uh, sins, transgressions, rebellion, whatever, the, the blood of Jesus hammered and cut that chain off. So that we don't have to have that, that past. The devil likes to come up and remind you, you remember you did this? Yeah, I remember that. You know what I remember? I remember that Jesus died to cover that by the blood. Yes. Amen? That's how we got to come back with that stuff. When he comes with those whispering, you remember that? You, you, you remember that? What you did? Yeah, I do remember that. But you know what? That wasn't me. I'm, I'm a new person in Christ now. That person died. I'm hidden in Christ now. Amen? That's what this is talking about. For what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His only Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. The infraction, the, the, the sin that Adam did, that put us all under the curse of sin, was done in the flesh. The payment, the ransom was paid in the flesh. God had to become in the flesh to pay this price. And I'm sure the devil was just like, I don't think he can do it. I don't think anybody can do it in the flesh, but Jesus did it in the flesh. That's why John says, don't let anybody sell you short of a gospel. It says, Jesus was just a spirit. He really didn't inhabit flesh like what we know. It was done in the flesh. That's what really starts me. You imagine the opposition. Look at the opposition of Marianne coming to Maui because the devil knew she was going to get saved and baptized and all there was was opposition, 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 opposition. If you're facing opposition, maybe God is doing a work in your life. Right? If we're facing opposition, God is doing something. It says about Jesus, because he had to face all these things that we face, it says, though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. There's stuff that we go through, but we're being transformed by that if we abide. If we abide, if we dwell, if we don't cut and run. We have to say, I'm in it to win it because Jesus already gave me the victory. And we're so close to that crown that we're talking about that he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. And what does this world have to offer us now? You know, the world is, is it's like a lot of, um, it's like uh, rhinestones. You know, it promises, oh, look at this, a lot of flash, a lot of bling, this and that. But you look at it, man, it's a cheap imitation made in China kind of deal, and it falls apart in your hands. But what God is offering us is gold tried in the fire, precious gems, things that will last into eternity is what the Lord is offering us. Don't sell short in this life, Amen. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live in according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, what are we putting our minds on? What are we put, uh, facing our, our, our mind toward? What are we thinking about? We've got to get the Word of God, the truth of God's Word within us, because this is the power that has the, the ability to destroy this, this infinity loop of sin within our life. And it says, yeah, but I tried that before. I tried. We'll try it again. 
and say, Lord, this is your word. You say your word is true. I'm identifying with your word. Speak the word over your situation. I can do all things. When you feel weak, I'm, I'm bossering. I no can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Give voice to his word and he'll lift us up in that moment of our need. When we feel the weakest, we feel the most disgusted. God will bring us to this place. Amen. It says, to, for to be carnally minded, fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Who wants peace in this place? There's a lot of turmoil out there, but we can drive into that secret place of God and we can have peace in the midst of chaos. That's what he says, I give you peace. One of the things Jesus conferred in the Gospel of John, he says, I give you peace, not as the world gives. I give you the peace that passes all understanding. You shouldn't have peace right now, but you got peace because you got Jesus living within you. Amen? We can have peace in the most chaotic situations. Because the carnal mind is at enmity, or it's at war against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. We're just gonna, but I'm just gonna press in, I'm gonna make this happen with my carnal. That ain't gonna happen. You probably do that good for about a day. And then you fall on your face. Oh I, thought, oh, I thought I could do it on my own. You can't do it on your own. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. I've been there. I know what that feels like. I'm going to be the best Christian. I'm going to do it this. And then you fall flat on your face. I can't even face him now. I just screwed it up, man, again. Well, it ain't about what you did. It's about what he did. And that's the power to, to transform your effort right there. That is the game changer right there. If you can get that in your spirit. If you're on this infinity loop, that is the way off the interchange right there. That's the off-ramp you want on right there. The blood of Jesus, the victory of Christ, conquered sin at the, at the cross and conferred the victory to us. A clean conscience, because we can say, it's not about me, it's about what he did. And I'm in Christ, therefore I receive what Jesus gives, because I have faith to do it. Not about feeling, it's about faith. It says in verse uh, 8, So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's impossible to please God if we're in the flesh. You know, there's two things that it says you cannot please God. It's, it's, it's impossible to please God. It says without faith, it's impossible to please God. But he who has faith must first believe that he is God, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Those who abide, those who dwell, those who seek relationship, those who seek understanding through his word, those who seek the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It goes on in verse 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit dwells in you. The Spirit dwelling in us. The promise that Jesus made to his disciples. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to come and he's going to live in you. He's going to dwell. He's going to take up habitation in our hearts. The Holy Spirit. If the Spirit indwells with us. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. You must be born again. You might know the name of Jesus, you might know about Jesus, but unless you invite Jesus into your heart and you have that transaction take place, when I lead people to the Lord, they want to know, what about this? What about this? What about this? This is something you just have to step over a threshold and something happens supernaturally. And until you do it, you can talk all day long about it, right? But when you take that step of faith, all of a sudden something happens and you feel in your heart, you're like, I, I don't want to say what experience it is because I think everybody is different, but something happened. 
something happened and something was real and it was life-changing and if Christ is in you verse 10 your body is dead because of sin but the spirit is life because of righteousness but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit whom dwells in you so the word dwelling 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 that he wants to come up the Lord wants to take residence within us. Would we call upon his name? He says that we make a confession with our words. And the Holy Spirit comes in within us. And he dwells with us. And he makes his home with us. And he transforms us from the inside out. That's the difference. Religion is an external thing. Well, I look pretty good on the outside. But you don't know what's going on on the inside. Where this work of the Holy Spirit. When we invite him into our heart. It's an inside job. He's changing us from the inside out. And it should have visible uh, manifestation. The words that we speak. Even the people that we hang out with. You know, um, in the Gospel of John, he's collecting his disciples, the beginning of the Gospel. And he says to, uh, oh, I can't remember the names of these guys. But anyway, he's down in, around Galilee. And they're, 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 these were disciples of John the Baptist. And they said, we found the Messiah. John the Baptist acknowledged him. He says, the one who you see when I baptize him and the Holy Spirit alights upon him or dwells or it, it, it stays upon him, that's the Messiah. And so John the Baptist acknowledges this. And his disciples follow. They're curious. So they follow Jesus and they say, where are you staying, Jesus of Nazareth? He said, come and see. And he invited them to come see where he was dwelling, where he was living. If the Lord was here on the earth, would you invite him to your house to see your dwelling? Is there stuff in your house that you'd be uncomfortable with if you invited Jesus over to see your dwelling? That's an external. Imagine this. I heard, I was listening to a sermon about this. It's something I never really considered. You imagine the, the um, demotion it was or the humiliation to put it in a better word, of it, what it was when Jesus went from sitting at the right hand of the Father in glory with heavenly hosts and angels constantly in adoration and worship 24-7 and says, I need to save these people. I will take on a body of flesh and come down into the world. Can you imagine what a demotion that is? We can't, I can't imagine that, what, what that is, what a demotion. But he did it. So he took on our sin in the form of flesh and he lived amongst his people in lowly circumstances. Born in a manger. Um, not even having a house. It says that the birds of the heaven have nests and the foxes have holes. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Wandering about doing ministry. Treated as if he was a product of fornication. We know who our father is. But as far as you go, Jesus, you're a Samaritan. We don't know if your mom was really telling the truth about you being conceived by the Holy Spirit. We don't know if that's true or not. So under a cloud of uh, aspersion. And um, now think about the step that the Holy Spirit takes. Jesus went into a holy vessel of flesh. Not sinless. Absolutely sinless. But God, Jesus says, when I go back to the Father, I'm sending the gift of the Holy Spirit. God in the form of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to take up residence in your dwelling place. This abode that sometimes ain't so clean. And the Holy Spirit says, 
Yeah, I'll go take up resident because I love them so much and Jesus paid the price of grace. I'll go live within them. Can you ever, you ever thought about that? That he's living with us, uh, a vessel that's in process? That's pretty amazing to think about that. But he wants us to be clean. He wants us, that's why he says, be holy for I am holy. The first function of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Of sin because they didn't believe in him. Of righteousness because I go to the Father and they see me no more. And of judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Anybody who's on that team has, a, uh, has an expiration date on their life. If you're on the wrong team, which we're not, if we're, in, the, if we're in, uh, in Christ, we have eternity to look forward to. But if you're in the world, if you're in the flesh, you have an expiration date on your life. And this is as good as it gets right now. He's offering us eternal life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if the Holy Spirit dwell within you. If the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Verse 11, once again, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we call him and says, Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Dwell within me. I want to be that person that you said that I am. I want to walk closer to you. I want to know you more intimately. I want to forsake sin. I don't want to have sin being harassing me anymore in my life. I want to be clean of that. We identify with the completed work of Christ. I died that day. It's no longer me. I told her, write that date down in your Bible. It's an important day. The answer of a clear conscience before God is what the book of Hebrews says. Uh, going on in Romans, it says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according in according with the flesh. That means we're in, a, in alignment with the flesh. We're not to be that anymore. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body. You will live for as many as are led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. In John's Gospel, it says this. It says, As many as loved the Lord Jesus Christ, God gave the right to be called the sons of God. Not everybody's a son of God. If you go out in the world or, you know, these ideas about God, oh, I'm a son of God. Not necessarily. In reality, if you're not born again, you're a son of Adam. And Adam is a sinner. And that's going to death. If you're born again, then you're a son of God. That's, that's proper doctrine right there. As many of, as led by the Spirit of God are the sons. For God did not, re didn't, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry it, Abba, Father. For the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together with him. So it comes with the package. There is an element of suffering. And because I tell you why, it says faith that cannot be tested, cannot be trusted. If we have faith and it's only through good times, it's all good, good, good. Yeah, you have faith. I have faith. It's all prosperity and this and that and blessing and good. And yeah, anybody can have faith through something like that. But what happens when the clouds cover the sun and it don't look so good? And it, the wind starts blowing and it gets very stormy. And it's like, ah, in the natural we might have a tendency to veer off course. And the Lord is saying, abide. Abide with me. Seek shelter under the shadow of my... Don't run away. Run to me during those times. 
run closer to me in those times. When you screw up, run closer to me at those times. Lord, this is why you died. You died to cover this mess that I made. And don't run away, don't hide, but abide into the, uh, the shadow of the Almighty. Come under us. I was thinking about that. You know, we got all these chickens out here in Haile Miley. And um, you go out there, and my wife, she always likes to catch these birds. These, uh, let me catch them. I said, Leave them alone, man. Just let them live over here. She always comes back with one in her hand. Look, I caught one. And I'm like, man, can you imagine the mother? Oh, there she goes again. <laughs> but anyway, these chickens are, you know, when they have, they have a multitude of, of chicks, you know, they're running around, and they're so cute. They're peeping, you know. And then if a cat or something comes over there, what do they do? All the chicks just run to the mother and she fluffs up her wings and she's over there like this kind of vibrating like don't you come near my chicks that's the Lord looks at us as his children don't you touch my kids and we come we, instead of running with that chick that just runs I'm out of here man there's a cat boom it takes off no no run to your mom go under the wing of your mom right we got to get that. He who dwells in that secret place, he'll cover you with his feathers and under his wings we shall take refuge. Don't run away, run closer to the Lord in times of trouble. In times of when we screwed it up, run closer to the, the, the mother hand, the Lord. He said he cried when he looked over Jerusalem. And you look at the trouble that's going on over there right now. And he says that there's judgment coming. He goes, there's how often I wanted to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. Now look, your city is left to you desolate. And you're going to be scattered all over the world. That happened 2,000 years ago. God is telling us, we, it says the word of God, all these things were written for our admonition. It's written for us to look at that lesson and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make that mistake. That when the Lord, when trouble comes, instead of running away and being rebellious and being willful, run to the mother. Get under the wings of the Lord. Get under that shelter. There's no fear. It says he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. That there is no fear. The closer we get to the Lord, there's confidence. There's peace. That's what he said. I offer you the peace that passes all understanding. It doesn't make sense. You should be in turmoil right now. You should be going crazy, but I offer you, I think it gives God glory when we take him at his word and we say, I'm going to be at peace, even though it's a mess out there. Amen. I shared this story. I remember I heard this story about an Israeli tank commander. And during the six day war, they conquered so much ground. They took the whole Sinai Peninsula because God was with them. And we, we saw at the Bible study some of the miraculous things that took place during that battle. And one of the commanders, he always wanted to go snorkeling in the Red Sea. And so as they were down there, and they were outnumbered ridiculously, you know, by the uh, combined forces of Egypt, Jordan, um, Syria, Lebanon amongst others, Iran, you know, all these enemies of Israel. And he goes down there, and in the midst of the, they had a cessation in the, in the battle, and he pulls his tank up to the Red Sea, and he jumps out of his tank, and he goes snorkeling during the battle, just to check it out. Can you imagine the confidence this man had in his God? Or he's just like, you know, I'm just going to do this. I think that God stands back there and he laughs. And look at that. Look at that guy, man. That's what you call peace that passes all understanding. He's snorkeling in the Red Sea during the heat of a battle. 
Can you imagine us doing that? It would give God glory that we're kicking back. You should be going crazy right now. But God said that I can have peace that passes all understanding. God said that I'm going to be at rest because he said so. And we operate that way in God's looking. That's my kid. That's, I identify that behavior. That's my child right there. Amen. That's what he's looking for. That's what he promises us because he paid the price. Because we get this revelation in our heart. It's not about, well, maybe someday when I'm righteous enough, I can approve it. Now is the day because of what Jesus did. Now is the, today is the day. Today is the day we can have victory of breaking the affinity loop. Where they, it says, uh, I'm going to try, 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 try. Rob. Oh, boom, there it goes again. Uh, well, maybe I'll, I'll wait about it. Um, maybe at least a couple months and I won't talk to God because I feel so bad about what I did. And then I'll come back and we'll talk again. Because I look, two months, I did pretty good, didn't I? Anybody identify that? We all do it, man. But instead, why don't we just say, I screwed up, God. You died for this. I'm sorry. Help me not to screw up again. And come immediately into the throne room of grace and plead that. That's what he's really looking for. Because you're not dependent on your own righteousness. It's like filthy rags. You're dependent on the righteousness of Christ. And he says, that cost me a lot for you to come in here and do this. And it took faith for you to do that. That's what God's looking for. I delight in faith. And it's not about feeling. It's about, this is what the Word of God says. It says about David. And it's not an excuse for bad, habit, bad behavior, bad sin. It's not an excuse to keep doing the same stupid over and over. And that's not what I'm preaching here. I'm talking about the costliness of God's grace, appropriating it to our, our, our situation and saying, man, that's what I need. And it has, sin is a power, grace is a greater power, grace will break that power of sin. Grace, uh, the, the abuse of grace says, it's all under grace. I can do it, and in the back of my head, I'm thinking, I'm going to do it again because he's so graceful, just forgive me. That's the abuse of grace right there. Real grace says, Lord, you died to give me the power to break this cycle that I don't have to do this again. And mean it. Amen? It says about David in Romans 4, but to him who does not work, but believes on him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. That's what God's looking for. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. We know the story of David. Man, that's like God does not pull punches. David is a man after my own heart. Well, let's not talk about what David did back here. No, he, here it is. David was elevated to the position of kingship over his, the greatest king that Israel had. But in his idleness, he's out on the balcony and he, he, his lust comes in his heart. He commits adultery with a woman that's one of his commanders in his army and gets her pregnant. And he goes, oh no, everybody's going to find out now. You know what, bring him home so he can get with his wife so that it'll cover up. It looks like it's his child. That didn't work. Oh no, send him into the battle. Put him up to the very front and get him killed. And he is killed in the battle. And the sin comes to the surface. And the prophet says, David, you are the man. You know what you did. And he repents. He just repents. He says, I did it. I, was, I, I, I screwed up. It was bad. And God says, all right, David, I know you love me. We're back to where we are. You're a man after my own heart. David admitted his, his sin. 
He admitted it, and it's on record, and God restored him to greatness. That's grace right there. That's the proper use of grace right there. Amen.